Well, I hope you guys are excited. We have an amazing speaker here tonight. His name's Clayton Butler, and he has traveled all over the world, but um, he spent three years in Cambodia working with um, Agape International Missions, and they do um, stuff to fight child trafficking and sex slavery. So it's really awesome, and um, we're excited to have him here tonight. So if you guys will welcome him. Thanks for having me. Uh, who's ever heard of that term, human trafficking, before? Who hasn't heard of that term before? It's kind of a weird term. Some of you are about to raise your hand. You're like, oh, no one else is raising their hand. They felt bad about it. Uh, don't feel bad about it. It's a strange term. Um, honestly, what it means is slavery. The sad fact is that there's more slaves today on the planet than there was at any point in history. And we study about slavery as if it was abolished or it's gone, but the reality is it's growing and it's growing all over the world. So I work for an organization called Agape International Missions, and our specific issue that we're focusing on is child slavery, where in some countries they're actually selling children uh, as young as four to people that would abuse them and uh, force them to live in brothels. Uh, and so it's, it's a really disgusting thing. Um, but I worked in a town called Swipok, and uh, Swipok is crazy. It is like the craziest town you can ever imagine. The first time I drove into town, there was a 15-year-old kid that was trying to sell me heroin. Uh, there was a 13-year-old kid trying to sell me a 4-year-old girl. There was a 4-year-old girl uh, trying to offer me oral sex in the street, and she had herpes all over her mouth. I mean, this town is absolute chaos. This is probably one of the most wicked places uh, you'll ever be. And so... Uh, the most difficult thing was it was my job to come and work in this uh, work in this town. Um, sometimes we forget how evil uh, the world can be, right? You know, like sometimes it's like we're, we get in our own life, we're playing our video games, and we forget that wickedness in the world is pretty intense at times. I think the easier thing it is to forget is that we are in a battle to establish God's rule and reign in places like this. Not only just overseas, but in places within our own communities, uh, here in Sacramento, where evil is prevailing. We're in a battle. And so some people would say, well, uh, I, I don't know if I want to get into the fight. I don't know. The reality is you don't get to choose. The only choice you have is whether you will live on the defensive or whether you'll live on the offensive. Uh, and so I don't know about you, but I've chosen in my life to say I will live on the offensive. When it comes to issues in my lifetime, in my planet, I will choose to live on the offensive, choosing to establish, establish God's rule and reign in these places. So, you know, when we see evil, we say, yeah, God, go kick butt in this town. Like, you know, Swipok is so crazy, just take it over. Um, but the reality is uh, that's not really how the kingdom of God works. So I'm going to talk a little bit about advancing the kingdom of God. This is kind of a strange term. And I'm going to explain it. I like graphs, okay? So don't make fun of me. I'm a little bit neurotic like that. Um, so kingdom of God is anywhere where God is the boss or where God's rule is. So I'm going to say God's rule. So anywhere where God's will and what he wants to happen is happening. Um, so sometimes we'll see a situation like, uh, let's say, you know, we're watching MTV, right? And there's something on MTV where we say, oh, that's disgusting. You know, some girl 
you know, shaking her butt with the G-string, and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is on TV. We've got to stop this, right? And we say, let's, let's call MTV, or, you know, the parents are like, we've got to stop. We've got to boycott MTV. And we see something evil, and we say, we've got to stop it. But the truth is, what about perversity in our own lives? Not just MTV, but what about our own lives? What about our own minds? What about lust in our own minds, in our own hearts? What about lust and perversity in our own churches? And so I think what happens is sometimes when we see problems in the world, we want God to skip over transforming our lives. We want God to skip over transforming our churches and say, hey God, go transform Swipok. Hey, go transform MTV or go transform uh, downtown Sac or wherever. But here's the reality. God's rule and reign always goes like this. First, goes to me and my life. Then, it goes to the church. Then, it goes to the world. See, sometimes we want the world to experience things that we haven't even experienced yet. Right? I'm thinking... I want them to be absolutely changed and submitted to God. And I'm thinking, I don't even know if I'm submitted to God. And so sometimes we want to see things that are happening in our communities that we haven't even let God do in our own lives. And so today, I want to talk about how this process worked out in Swipok, in this town. Uh, I love telling stories. Uh, I think stories uh, a little bit more engaging, but I want to talk about the story of Swipot. So when God was looking, sometimes when we look at a problem, we say, God, why aren't you dealing with this problem? And God is looking at us. Ezekiel 22.30. You don't have to open up there, but if you're writing notes, write this down. Ezekiel 22.30. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall uh, of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. See, when we see a problem, God isn't looking at the problem. He is looking at people and asking them to respond. So who's got an issue they're passionate about? Whether it's poverty, education, something. Who's got an issue that they're actually passionate about? Raise your hand high if you're passionate about an issue. See, sometimes you're thinking, God, do something about this issue. But God's actually looking at you and saying, will you respond to me? And will you do something about the issue? Ezekiel is talking about this. God is looking for a person. God is looking for people that will respond to him. Um, and so when it came to this town of Swipok, I really believe God was looking at three people. Um, one of the people was me. Um, and it's just kind of an interesting story. I always felt like called, like, I want to go help. Who, who's ever been like, I want to go on a mission trip? Who's ever wanted to do that, okay? Who's ever wanted to do something big and great and exciting? And I was the same. I was like, I, I want to go overseas, I want to be a missionary, I want to do all these things, and I was just waiting, I don't know really what I was waiting for, I was waiting for an opportunity, and I had a, a friend I was having coffee with, and he said, what are you waiting for? And I was thinking about that question, I said, well, I got, you know, this payments on my car, and I got this, and this, and this, and I, I have to finish this up, and so he said, if you could find someone to sell your car to, if you could find this, and you could find this, what would you be waiting for? I don't know. And I think in my mind, I was waiting for like this moment when somebody come up with like $10,000 and be like, God's calling you to Cambodia, just go. Or I was waiting for something spectacular. But the truth was, 
God was just waiting for me to make the sacrifice. It didn't have to be anything spectacular. Uh, it didn't have to be someone saying, God's got this prophetic word for you and, you know, this amazing thing. And I'm thinking, I'm launched out. I mean, God did all those great things in my life. But the truth was, I had a very unspectacular launching. I had to sell all my junk and just go. And uh, I think a lot of you in this room, you have this passion and calling for things and you're waiting for something that God's not going to give you. You're waiting for someone to show up with that $10,000 check and say, yes, this is the calling. And you're like, oh, you're weeping. And you're thinking, I'm going to go. I'm going to help my neighbor. I'm going to go. I'm going to help the poor. But the truth is, God is saying, when are you going to sell all your junk and just focus on me? Uh, it took a lot of time for me. It took, a, uh, luckily, I had a lot of people uh, provoking me on that. But I think about people like Mary, Joseph, even Jesus. There, there was never a convenient point for them to obey God. It was going to be inconvenient. If you're waiting for a convenient time to do something great for God, it won't happen. And you'll wait, and you'll wait, and you'll wait, and eventually it will pass by. Uh, it was not convenient for Jesus to come to earth. It wasn't convenient for Mary to uh, bear the son of, uh, son of God. It was not a convenient thing. Um, but I think the more impressive story is, when I, well, when I responded, I went to Cambodia, but I realized if I was going to work in this town, I needed some more help. So I was traveling um, out in the jungles in Cambodia, and I met this young guy named Ratanak. Ratanak is like 18 years old. He's like the funniest guy I've ever met. He's like, he, he, he goes to Chiefs like Children's Church, and the kids are just laughing. Like he, he's just one of the funniest, most charming guys I've ever met. And I said, hey, would you like to work in, in Swaipak? And everybody in Cambodia knows Swaipak. Uh, like, Cambodia is crazy, right? But Swaipak is the craziest of the crazy. So he's like, I don't want to work there. And so I don't, but it wasn't like he was scared of working there. It was more this idea, I don't know, like I felt like there was like shame in his face. And I, I kept saying, like, I want you to work. I can tell you're really good at working with kids. And uh, how about you come work? And he no, no, not me. Never me. And um, I kept asking him and asking him. And I realized he was really ashamed of himself. I, I don't know what had happened. But he really felt like, listen, I'm not this righteous guy. I'm not a pastor. I'm not someone that can do this work. And he had, like, some deep shame. And so I really felt like God was calling him to work in Swipak. I don't know what his past was, but I felt like God was calling him to work. And so I started inviting him to Bible studies. And, like, I was very purposeful, right? So I was like, today is about Moses, the man that God used that was a sinner, a murderer, right? And so we'd study about Moses, and then I'd be like, today is about David, the man that God used that was an adulterer and a murderer. And so, like, I kept, like, driving home all these Bible studies about, like, how people that— really weren't qualified to do God's work, God used. And, and, um, and I think the reality, well, and I kept going, I kept going, I kept going to Gideon. I talked about how Gideon was the weakest, um, and God chose Gideon out of all the people. And he came up to me, this is like a month of Bible studies, like all for him. Like there's a big group, but it was all for him, right? Um, and this is like a month of Bible studies, and he comes up to me, and he said this. And, and I mean, it was a really powerful breaking point. He says, I've always said to God, I'm too sinful to be used. I'm too stupid, but today I told God that it, I was available. And he said, if you want me to work in Swipok, I'll work in Swipok. And see, it wasn't this issue of him being like, oh, I'm really not that bad. It was an issue of him saying, yeah, I'm a pretty bad guy, but God can still use me. And I think 
in every area of life, no matter where you've come from, there's something in us at times that is like that. We're all like Rathana, where we're thinking, if you only knew what I did, if you only knew what I've gone through, you wouldn't want to work with me, or God, God couldn't work with me, if you only knew. The truth is, I bet it's terrible. I bet we've all done terrible stuff. But if a sinful past disqualifies us from doing God's work, then no one can do God's work. No one can. Like, you need to understand this. I'm going to drive this point home. If a sinful past disqualifies us from God, no one can come to God. No one can approach God. I think about this. Noah, right? Noah in the Bible, he drank too much. Uh, he drank so much, he ended up passed out naked on his bed. That was a lot, a lot of drinking, right? Uh, Abraham... Uh, he gave, because he was scared, he gave his wife to someone else to have sex with because he was afraid. Jacob, he was a deceiver and a liar. Peter, he had a temper. He denied knowing Jesus. Uh, he was a racist against the Gentiles. Moses, a murderer. David, a murderer. Paul, a murderer. The majority of our Bible is written by murderers. Like, do you understand that? The, our Bible, like, we're singing these worship songs, and most of these worship songs are based on the Psalms, which were based on the songs of a murderer. If, if sin or an evil path disqualifies us from God, then no one can serve God. And so maybe you're, you're like me, where you're sitting and you're waiting for a convenient moment to serve God. It's not going to happen. You have to respond to God. Maybe you're in this room and you're saying, I'm too sinful. I can't serve God. God doesn't want to use me. And I'm saying, everyone's too sinful to be used, used by God. You need to respond. Um, the third person that God was grabbing a hold of was a guy named Shanta. And man, I love Shanta. We worked together for years. Uh, he was a tough guy. He was a gangster and a pimp. Uh, and he got saved and went to Bible school. And he's just this awesome guy. And so he was a great preacher of the word, a great dynamic Cambodian preacher. And I thought, this guy would be perfect for Swipok, right? This is a community full of gangsters and pimps and prostitution and all this craziness. And I'm thinking, I'd love to bring in a Cambodian pastor that has come out of this lifestyle transformed. And so I said, I said, Shanta, do you want to go to Cambodia? And he was like, no way. Um, and this is what he said. I mean, this is the reality of how crazy Swipok is. He says, they'll steal my child and sell him and they'll rape my wife. I won't go there. And I know that's a very true that's a very true possibility. It's a very difficult community. Um, and so I said, hey, could you go away and pray for a couple weeks and think about it? Um, and he said, sure. And he came back after two weeks. And he said probably what I consider to be some of the most profound words I've ever heard. He said this, I don't want to go to Swipok, but God told me he's sending me, so I'll go. Now that's a powerful statement. He says, I don't want to go, but God told me I'm going, so I'll obey God, even though I don't want to go. And now, I think there's something in America that says, my destiny is what I'm passionate about, right? Who's ever, like, I love playing guitar, so that means God's obviously called me to be this awesome worship leader. Or I love to paint, so God's obviously calling me to be a painter. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but the Bible doesn't always provide examples like that. I think of Jonah. You know, Jonah wasn't like, I love oceanography. I hope someone, like, I get swallowed by a whale. You know, jo Joseph was like, I love slavery, so I hope, you know, someone throws me in a pit and sells me into slavery. That would be great. That's my destiny. No, there are 
There are situations where God is saying, this has nothing to do with what you're passionate about. The choice is, are you committed to my glory more than your passions or your comfort? And that's a profound question. I have to ask myself that question a lot. Because if we're only committed to things that we want to do, how is God king in our life? Think about that. If we're only willing to do the things that we're passionate about, then how is God king? And that's really the point I want to get across, is that me focusing on convenience was an issue of selfishness. Ratana, focusing on the fact that he was too sinful, selfishness. Shanta saying, I'll only obey God if it's something I want to do. Selfishness. And here's the battle. God's rule and reign. Oops. Oh, I left the cap off too long, so I guess I'll change the color now. Here's the battle. Is self king? Or is God king? A lot of us are in this battle right now. We're like, change the world. And God's saying, I don't even know if I'm king of your life. You're saying, oh God, be king of Sacramento. Be king of my neighborhood. Be king of my family. And he's saying, I don't even know if I'm king in your life yet. I don't know if you fully submitted over the fact that you live 100% for my glory and not for your own convenience or your, your, own, um, your own shame or your own passions. And this is the biggest thing. If we don't get here, I mean, if, if we get locked here, it changes a lot of things. This is something pretty interesting. If we're the boss, then we're going to seek out churches that serve ourselves. Now, if God's the boss, we will create and serve in churches that serve others. My handwriting is like hieroglyphic, so hopefully you understand what I'm saying. When we went into Swipok, we wanted to create a church that served others. And so we did something, we wanted to make a pretty big statement. So with the help of some investigators, um, we found the toughest brothel in Swipok. This was a brothel where kids' virginity was sold. This, were, this was a brothel. I mean, this is kind of rough information, but kids were raped to death in this place where child pornography was filmed and shipped all over the world. This was known as like the epicenter of the world. Foreign pedophiles from all over the world would come to abuse kids in this building. And so our thought was, this is where the church needs to be. So we worked with foreign investigators. We got the place raided, people rested, and we bought the place. And we actually knocked down the rooms where kids were kept. And we said, this is the church. This is where transformation is going to happen from. This is where we're going to serve people from. Uh, it's a pretty amazing story. I mean, I could probably speak for about four hours just on that experience. All I have to say is, it is an awesome feeling to knock down walls that held kids captive. Like, it is probably one of the most profound feelings I've ever had in my life. To, like, physically be breaking down Satan's kingdom and saying, like, this is going to be a church. I was like, in your face, devil. You know, like, I was feeling, I was feeling pretty awesome that day. Um, anyways, it was a great experience. Um, but I think about this. Why start a church, right? If God's, if God's transformed my life, why don't I just go straight from God's transformed my life 
I'm jumping right into the world. Let's transform the world. I think about this, Matthew 16, 18. You don't have to turn there. But Jesus is talking about the church. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Here's the truth. God has anointed the church to crush the power of evil. And now we are part of the church, but it's the institution. See, um, it's not law, law enforcement and the military. They can, like, discipline behavior, right? You can tell a kid, like, hey, don't eat that cookie. Hit him right on the hand. He still wants to eat the cookie. He's not going to do it, but he still wants to. It's only disciplining behavior. Uh, school, it can educate the mind, and that's great. Giving us new skills and new ways to think about things, that's great. But the church and the gospel is the only way to transform the heart. And if we don't realize that the church is the way to transform the world, then we'll always be thinking, well, let's, you know, let's join with Angelina Jolie and just, you know, give money to the UN and adopt a bunch of kids and just do all these great things that seem nice, but maybe don't have any lasting transformation. There has to be a transformation of the heart to have lasting change. And so uh, we took this really seriously because we wanted to transform this town, not just get everybody arrested. I mean, I talked to this one guy. We brought this one military guy in. And like at first, like he's a he's great Christian guy. And he's like, oh, we got to transform this place, right? And he's super fire and passionate. I've been there for like a year and a half now. And so I'm like, wow, you got like way too much energy right now. Just bring it down a notch. But he's like ready to transform the town in a week. And I'm thinking, this is a long process of transforming the heart, right? So the first week, he's like, let's just, let's just go get everybody saved. And then after the week, uh, he comes, he goes, just bomb this place. Man, I hate this place. Like, it was like a week. It was like so discouraged. He was like, I hate all these people. They're so sinful. Let's just drop a bomb on this place and get out of here. And I'm thinking, I understand it's a long process, you know, like, because he's seeing like how wicked these people are. And he's like, I don't know if there's hope for this. And so the reality is God calls us even to love our enemies. And so we were so passionate about this reality that the gospel and the church can transform. As we started starting ministries, not just to help victims, but to also reach victimizers. So we were helping kids that were in prostitution, but we were also reaching out to the same people that were prostituting them. So we started this gym uh, to get a bunch of the gang members and pimps involved. And we started seeing the gang members actually come to the Lord and seeing them transform. And it was a slow process, but it was like, what are you going to do? I mean, this entire town, 90% of the industry, meaning all 90% of business there was drug trafficking and human trafficking, meaning selling drugs and selling children. So what are you going to do? If you want to transform the town, you either drop a bomb on it, like the one guy said, or you have to transform the community from the heart all the way up. And so we started reaching out. We started uh, uh, reaching out to these people. And so I think about a situation when it comes to churches that focus on self or churches that focus on others. I got a bunch of pastors together, uh, rural pastors. I mean, these are guys that, you know, barely know how to read. I mean, just really old dudes. Like, I mean, it was, it was a ragtag group of pastors, right? And we put them in a room, and we were saying— Let's fast. Because they were saying, we have nothing to give. How are we supposed to reach our community when we're poor? And it was the truth. They were dirt poor, right? So we have like 30 to 40 pastors. And I'm saying, what about this idea? What if we fast all together, right? If we all fast and the money we would have spent on the food, we pool it together and give to needs. And when he's thinking, okay, let's do that. And I said, all right, what are some of the needs in the community, right? So we start writing down. And eventually, I got like 50 needs on this board. 
And I'm thinking, there is no way we can fast and meet all these needs. Because there were significant needs. And we're, we're writing these down. And I said, all right, let's take a moment. Let's pray. And let's ask God which needs we should give to. Um, and so we all close our eyes and say, who wants to give to one, two, three? You know, when I'm ra- no one's raising their hand. I'm thinking, maybe there's too many to choose from, so they're not going to choose. And so I said, listen, you have to choose. Listen to God's voice. Who is he asking you to give to? So I went through again, and no one raised their hand. And it, t- it takes a long time to go through a whole list like that. So we're like 25 minutes into this, and I'm thinking, you have to raise your hand for something. So all heads are still bowed, and people are still in prayer. And I said, who is willing to fast until every need is met? And every hand went up. And I was like, oh, what a great story. The truth was, we had to do a schedule that was 16 weeks long of fasting. Not 16 straight weeks of fasting, but it was like, all right, you guys fast this week, and you guys, but it was 16 weeks of fasting just to meet needs within the community. And these were poor people meeting needs. And now usually when we think of fasting, it's like, I want this spiritual breakthrough in my life. Right? We don't think, I'm going to fast 16 weeks so that that mother who has no job can have food on her table. And it was probably the most provoking image of what the church should be that I've ever seen. Um, it was people laying down their life that they're thinking, I'm here to serve others. So I guess my question is, first, who's boss in your life? Is it God like, hey, God, you're my savior, but not really my king? God... Uh, you, you're, you're my forgiver, but you're not my master. You're not Lord. So that's the first question. The second question is, how do you view church? Do you come to church and say, you better feed me. Your message better be good. I mean, some of you came in here, but Clayton, you better entertain me. Uh, I, but what do you, are you coming here to say, serve me. Give me something great. Or are you saying, equip me to serve others? It's a very different mindset that we can get into. Because here's the thing. If we stay in this mindset, then even our outreach is about uh, feeling good. I'll just put it that way. Right? I see people that come, it's like, hey, I'm on a two-day mission trip to India. It's like, what are you going to do in two days? To tra-? It's like, I'm going to hold the baby, take a picture, throw him a bag of food, and be like, yes, I healed the world, right? Because it wasn't about actually changing the world. It was about feeling good. It was about having an awesome picture on your Facebook status of like, I love the children of the world. That's what it was about. It was about feeling good at the end of the day. And when we went there, it wasn't actually about laying down our lives in a long-term uh, situation. It was about really... How is this going to make me feel good? How am I going to have an adventurous time overseas? Uh, I have a really difficult story that it's hard for me to share because I get angry when I share it. I was part of, I would network with investigators, and I'm part of putting together a rescue operation for a six-year-old girl that had been being sold to foreign pedophiles. So um, this guy, we'd been tracking this girl. We had a police warrant to rescue this girl when we had her on site. Um, I see this guy who has been selling this girl over the city. He grabs her. He's running down an alley. I'm chasing her down an alley. I get in this spot where he doesn't see me. I'm calling in the police for a warrant. And we're going to rescue a seven-year-old girl and provide freedom for her. I see this white van pull up, right? Who pops out? Is it a gang member? Police officer? No. 
some missionaries taking pictures. And I walked up to them. I said, listen, you have no idea what's going on right now. I need you to get in the van and get out of here. He says, no, we come here to serve. And I said, I need you to get in your van and get out of here. He said, who are you? Who made you boss? And he's taking pictures. And I'm literally, because he's taking pictures down the alley where the guy is. And I see the guy grabbing the girl thinking, I'm going to run. And I'm literally covering his camera with my hand. And we get in this squabble. He ran. The police called off the whole thing. And I have no idea where that girl is today. Uh, the reason that story gets me mad is it's because two perspectives. It's a guy that they didn't actually do missions work. They just heard about how evil Sly Pac was, and they wanted to take pictures and talk about it when they got home. We went to this town where human trafficking is so crazy, and it was so, and it broke my heart. Me, 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 my experience, my transformation. It was all about personal feeling, but it was never about long-term change in the community. But if we honestly have God as king in our life, in our churches, the way we view the lens of churches, equip me to serve, then when we reach out to the world, it's about advancing the kingdom. And that's what we began to see in Swipok. I mean, we really... Um, I spent about three years out there, and we saw amazing things. We got to see these gang members start to be transformed by God. The same gang members that were actually abusing kids and pimping kids now were part of our child outreach. So they're like, Father Abraham. You know, like they used to be, you know, selling heroin and stuff, and now they're teaching Father Abraham and, and doing medical outreaches within the community. And that's the power of transformation. It's not just, hey, they stopped doing bad things. Anybody can stop doing bad things, but the power of God and the gospel is changing a heart from doing bad things to actually serving others, from someone that abuses to someone who gives of their time and of their effort. Uh, we saw 22 kids rescued within that community. That doesn't sound like a lot, but that's actually more kids than all the investigators uh, combined that year. And that was in one town through pastors and Christians. That wasn't through uh, almost every investigative rescue we tried to do failed. Every rescue that had to do with the pastor and us reaching out as Christians were successful. And we saw 22 uh, uh, child rescues. We saw some of the first boys rescued out of prostitution in Cambodia. Um, we saw um, prostitute parents actually t uh, turn um, to informants, meaning gathering information to law enforcement to help brothels get shut down. Um, um, we saw uh, the neighborhood monk got saved. This is great. Pastor Chantal, like he's, as I said, he was used to be a gangster in uh, um, uh, a pimp. And so I always think about this. Like, you know how God says be as innocent as a dove and as true as a snake? Like, if you're working in Swipoc, you have to have both of those. Like, he'll be this pastor and be like, oh, God loves you. And then, like, some, like somebody will come up to his kid. He's like, I'm going to have to kill you. Don't touch my kid. Like, so he's like this guy that's like, oh, there's the snake side of Pastor Chantal. Like, there's the dove side. It's a crazy town, right? Um, but I remember his snake side came out uh, to this monk, right? This monk is in town. He's a 22-year monk. And this monk comes up to him, and he's like, ah, oh, your church is worthless. And he's like, I dare you to come to my church. I dare you to come, right? So I love Pastor Shantaz attitude. Just come. See what happens. He comes to church, just experiences the power of God. And he comes up, and he grabs the mic in church and says, I've been uh, a monk for 22 years. 
and for the first time in my life, I felt the presence of God. And he left. And so, like, he's, like, now in church, he's, like, the, he's like the craziest testimony. Because he'll talk mad crap about Buddhism. Like, he'll, he'll grab the mic and be like, I was going, mmm, for 22 years, and it was worthless. Like, I got to, like, so he, he, he's a funny guy, right? There's this other guy in town. Um, there's this other guy in town. He was the fortune teller. Uh, so he was, like, kind of like a witch doctor. And again, um, we were walking through town, and this witch doctor starts talking crap about us as we're walking. And Pastor Chantel's like, I dare you to come to church. He's like, I dare you to meet the power of God. This is what he says. He says, I dare you to come meet the power of God. Because he was talking about, like, how powerful he was as a witch doctor. He's like, oh, I dare you to come and encounter the power of God. Come on, I dare you, right? And so he comes to church. Now, he had a stroke, so he had paralysis, right? Half his face had paralysis. He walked in the church and got healed, right? He, know, he, knows, he knows nothing about God or the gospel. Like he, know, he, he doesn't even know the name Jesus. And so he goes running out. He's like, come to church, the power God. Like he's like preaching, but he knows nothing. He's like, there's a power God here. Come. It's so like he was like inviting all these people, and they're like, what is Christianity? He's like, I don't know. Just come. Um, uh, so it was great. Um, I think one of the coolest things um, is the church has grown to about 350 people right now. We started a school there. We have about 2,000 kids in the school. Um, so we were reaching the entire community. We started business loans, helping people start businesses to replace the brothels. Um, but I think one of the most touching things for me was that the church, uh, remember that Haiti earthquake and everything, all that chaos was happening? The church took an offering for Haiti. These are poor people in Cambodia that just a couple of years ago were abusing kids. And now in the same building where kids were abused, they're taking an offering for someone else across the world that was in worse shape than them. And that's the power of God's kingdom. It's not just to stop evil, but it's to replace evil with his heart, with love and compassion. And so I guess the reality is, where's your swipe pop? Because you're sitting here thinking, oh, that's, that's fantastic. What's the issue that you're passionate about? What's the issue that God's calling you to? Maybe you're not even passionate about it. But God's thrown you in a situation where you're thinking, God's calling me to this. What's the issue that you're sitting on the fence on? And you're saying, well, if it was just convenient, then I would do it. What's that issue? Because it's great to be like, hey, praise God. God brought transformation to a town called Swipok. But this is all about God working this same process in your life. But what's the, what's the issue What's the issue in your guy's heart? So I'm going to ask that we pray. It's not going to be a fancy altar call. We don't need music or anything like that. Let's just take this real soberly. Let's let God speak to our hearts when it comes to what's the issue. So let's close our eyes. God, speak to us. God, what's the issue? Is it our family? Maybe some of us have family members that we know we're called to pray for. Maybe a brother that's in trouble. Maybe a sister that's, maybe you've given up on her. Maybe some of you are passionate about inner city ministry. Ministry to gang members, ministry uh, to people living on the street. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us. What is the thing you're calling us to do? Lord, most importantly, we pray that you would be king of our lives. Not just Savior, 
Not just the forgiver, not just our friend, not just all the nice and, and things that make us feel good. But Lord, we want you to be Lord. We want you to be the king. We want you to be master in our life. That when you say go, we go. So we repent. Lord, if, if we see in our heart that there's parts of us that really we're just living for ourselves and asking you to bless the things that we want. We choose to make you king. And Lord, we choose to look at church not just as a place that serves us, but as a place that equips us to serve others. Lord, I, I pray for the people in this room and the leaders in this room, God. Lord, that you would anoint them, continue to anoint them for more work, God, to serve others, to reach the lost, God, to reach the hurting. We pray that we would advance your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you, as king, just like a general, would give orders. If you're willing to have God give you orders, just open up your hands like you want to receive something. Lord, for those that you're, you're working on their hearts, so we're ready to receive. Lord, give us orders. You're the boss. This isn't an emotional commitment. This is, this is just raw commitment, God. This is us saying, we want you to be king. We want you to tell us, give us our marching orders, God. We are here not to establish our own kingdom, our own desires, our own needs. We're here to establish your kingdom, to see you lifted up high, glorified in our lives, in our city, God. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite uh, Stephanie up. I don't know if she wants to do additional ministry or anything like that. Stephanie, you, okay. if you want to do additional ministry, that's up to you. Okay. Um, well, yeah, Amber, why don't you come up and... Uh you can play for a little bit. Let's all stand up. Um, if you guys feel like you, you know, God's really laying something on your heart, let's just take a couple more minutes to kind of soak in that and um, to just listen to God. And so I don't even think that we need to have people pray for us right now or anything like that. But like if, let's just take a couple more minutes to just soak in what God is calling us to do and just listen for his voice. So God, we just silence our minds and we just silence the distractions and we silence our fears. And God, we just invite you to speak. We just wanna listen for your voice right now.
I just want to pray for people in this place that are hearing your voice and they're hearing your callings, but they're not ready to say yes yet. And I just pray, Father, that you would just comfort them in the process that it takes to get to yes. I just pray, God, that you would grip hearts with with those words that you've spoken tonight. Just grip their hearts that, that it would wake them up in the night, that it would be on their, their mind the first thing when they wake up in the morning. God, I just pray that that the callings that you've set forth tonight, that, that something would rise up in us that would just make it absolutely unacceptable to say no to it. I just pray, God, that there would be such a, a dissatisfaction in us for, for no and for not obeying, that, that we would not be okay with that. And God, right now, we just release fear. We just let go of fear right now in Jesus' name. We say yes to you, God. We say yes to your calling. We say yes to the challenge. We say yes to the risk. Father, I just pray that you would strengthen each and every person in here to set aside the things that are necessary for them to go and pursue the calling that you have on their lives, whether it's setting aside their reputation or setting aside money or setting aside just passions that they shouldn't be holding on to or fear, whatever it is. God, I just pray that we would set those things aside. That we would just say yes to you, God. Father, I just thank you for the challenge that you've given us tonight. I thank you, God, for the words that were spoken in this place. And I pray that they would not be forgotten that there would be revelation and there would be uh, just a stirring in our hearts that would be more than just an emotional response to the message tonight. But that we would really do something about the problems that make us angry. So God, we just thank you for everything that you're about to birth, everything that you're about to bring forth. God, I just want to pray a blessing over everybody in this place as they go from here. And we just want to set our eyes on you this week. We set our eyes on what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed. If, uh, if you want to stay a little bit longer, Amber's going to keep playing for a little bit more. But remember, we are not having Epic Life here next week. We'll be at the park. So uh, we'll see you guys there.